Hmm. I like it. Hey, it's Jason. I'm trying something a little different here with a little intro jingle before the other intro, before the conversation. Just wanted to remind you that this podcast is supported by patrons. Right now, there are 83 people that make this podcast possible. If you would like to add to that number and help me reach my goal of 300 patrons, you can go to patreon.com slash things about things. Patreon.com slash things about things. Consider it. Thanks. Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. And I'm here with my friend, Leah Berry. Hi, Leah. Hello. Um, so excited about this. We're going to talk about disordered eating. It's funny to say I'm excited about this, but I'm, I'm excited about learning um, because, you know, we've already been talking for a while before I press record. So I feel like I already learned a lot and we'll go back through a few of those things and then a whole bunch of stuff I didn't ask. Um, but so Leah is my friend, but Leah is also a mental health and substance abuse counselor and she's licensed. She's a licensed mental health counselor, licensed clinical addiction specialist, certified eating disorder specialist. And so there's a lot, there's a lot I want to know and a lot we need to go through, but before we go into the depths of it all, can you just kind of define the phrase disordered eating? Yeah, so I think I I like to start out by saying we all have a, like some type of disordered eating. I don't think anybody is immune to that. So I don't want anyone listening to you know feel attacked or you know like mm-hmm. something's wrong with them because we all have thoughts that get in the way of what is appropriate for our nutrition or what's good to eat, what's not great for us to eat, and same thing with movement. So I think when I think about disordered eating, it's, am, is, am I eating in a way that nourishes my body, gives my body what it needs? Mm-hmm. Am I moving my body in a way that feels good to my body and is what it needs? And if I'm not doing that, then that could be disordered. I think it can be more complicated than that. But in the sense that, you know, eating too much or too little could be helpful, unhelpful, but also there's a little place where it's like, it's also okay to eat something when you just want to eat something. And if it's not, this isn't like a hunger and fullness thing that that's all you listen to is hunger and fullness. Um, But yeah, I think, and then on a broader scope, it's, is your relationship with food or moving your body something that brings you joy in life that is good for you? Or does it take away from what you're doing from the life that you're living? Does it consume your life? Do you worry about it? Um, and if that is the case, then you might have some things you want to change. Oh, so I know that's a really broad answer. Yeah, there's so much <laughs> There's so much there. And I think maybe some people, they clicked, they started listening and they might be thinking, is that the same thing as an eating disorder? Is disordered eating the same thing as an eating disorder? So what would you say? It could be. Um, so I think, I think of this kind of in, um, kind of two buckets where there's, you know, some murky water in between maybe where, you know, some of the water could go in one bucket or the other both, but one bucket of disordered eating that isn't necessarily meeting the criteria of an eating disorder. So kind of like if you have a sniffly nose and you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, it might be a cold, but like. You also don't have any of these other symptoms, Mm -hmm. but there's something going on. It's a sniffly nose. So same thing. Like there's something not quite right about my relationship with food, but I don't meet all of these other criteria clinically for eating disorder diagnosis. And then there's a bucket of people that do meet criteria for eating disorder diagnosis. And the other bucket would be more a professional assessing somebody and determining whether that would be the case. Okay. So an eating disorder would be something that's diagnosed. Yes. That's treated. Yes. Disordered eating, maybe if I was going to do a synonym, it would be like an unhealthy relationship with eating or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Unhealthy relationship with food, movement, body. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So that, so you can have 
So as people are listening, there might be times where you think, I think I kind of do that, but maybe don't get paranoid and jump all the way to, therefore I have this. But if there's enough of that, maybe go talk to somebody. We'll get maybe yeah. we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I don't I don't really know where to start. I have a list of like all these phrases and and questions, but um I guess let me start with the positive. What what is a healthy relationship with food? When I think about a healthy relationship with food, I think of kids. And that, that is with a disclaimer that like, yes, kids can be very picky eaters. So it's not yeah. every child, but like, especially really little babies who are very, who are adaptable to food, who don't have struggles with feeding. Um, they eat what they want to eat and they don't eat what they don't want to eat. If they don't <laughs> like peas, they don't eat peas. And you know, wow. if you're a parent and you get pea puree and they don't want to eat it, then they don't. But if they really love sweet potato puree, then like they'll have at it and that might be all they want to eat and that's what you give them so you're talking about like toddlers like little little ones like little little when they haven't been influenced by things like halloween candy and earlier than that right well or ideas that halloween candy might be bad you know Uh they're just like this tastes good and so they choose what they want based on what they like Mm-hmm. And there's some, you know, I definitely believe that there are some things about our body that tell us what types of nutrition we need. So sometimes I will crave a hamburger mm-hmm. and it's usually, I have found that if I have a strong craving for beef, I usually have low iron. Real weird. But that would be an anecdotal story about someone who has a health, has a healthy understanding with right. relationship yeah. with food and self. Yes. But you could jump, someone else might be like, Hey, I just wanted a hamburger. So I, I had one, but that could yeah. be, a, that could be bad depending on if they're it depends not depends on the context. Yeah. Yeah. Depending they're on not if eating they're, intuitively. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So what is, what is it, what does intuitive mean? <laughs> so intuitive, I think it's kind of loaded. I think one piece of it is listening to hunger and fullness cues. So how much do you want? So kind of like the baby thing is like when a baby's had enough, they've had enough. And some days you can feed a baby forever. And you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, you are yeah, a yeah. bottomless pit of food. And other days they don't want anything mm-hmm. and that's okay. And they grow and they develop normally. And what you're really looking, parents will know this, is looking for a kid to stay on their growth curves. Yeah. If they're like jumping up or dropping off, then though that's when a doctor gets concerned. And so just like a baby, am I full or am I still hungry? And then also not letting yourself get so hungry that you're just like in this hangry mode or having headaches from hunger, you know, missing hunger cues. Um, And then when you're so full that you're done, (laughs) then you're done. I think also intuitive eating isn't an all or nothing mentality. So it's, what do I want? What do I not want? What am I craving? What am I not craving? Um, And having some awareness around that. And then I think there's this other piece that's like, this is what I tell my kids. Our bodies need a little bit of everything. So I might be yeah. craving bread all day long, any type of starch. I think that's a common thing that people mm-hmm. complain about because it's associated with weight gain or unhealthy eating. And so if I just want like imminent, and everything bagel yeah, with cream everything cheese, beta, yes, yes. But then also that afternoon, I want like a big old sandwich with like one piece of meat and like only bread, you know, that can happen. And so I think intuitive eating is like, okay, am I getting, am I, is my nutrition like profile balanced out? It doesn't have to look like the plate that you see on like the nutrition guide, but yeah. I kind of think to myself sometimes, have I had any fruit or vegetables today? Maybe I should do that. That'd be nice to balance that out a little bit, but that doesn't mean I don't eat the starches, you know, like I can still have starches. So it's a balance of just trusting your body combined with knowing what a human body needs. What a body needs. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not being so all or nothing. I think intuitive eating is also not basing what you eat on your body shape and size. There we go. And then other, the exterior voices and the cultural, the current cultural norm and expectation, which has obviously changed. So it can't be some correct one if it just keeps changing. Yeah. Well, there's always a fad diet and there's a fad diet because diets don't work. Um, And typically what happens, the statistic is 95% of people who go on a diet lose weight and then they gain it back plus more. And there's a lot of scientific reason for why people rebound that weight. Um, 
And then there's also newer research that shows that if you take a group of people that have the same BMI, but you compare people who have never chronically dieted, dieted and people who have um, chronically dieted, the people who have dieted have poorer health metrics than people who have not. Um, and that's a more complicated study of people. Yeah. I, I don't know the person. Well, let me pause there so we can do some definitions. Yeah. What does yeah. BMI mean? So body mass index is BMI. And what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a complicated, it's a more complicated measurement where you essentially look at a person's body composition, uh -huh. not composition in terms of what is made up, but like how the idea is how large or small is a person. It is a significantly flawed metric that so much of our health system bases things on. And so there are these cutoff points where like under 18.5 BMI for an adult is underweight. Over 25 is overweight. And then you get into obesity or morbid obesity. But I think it's helpful to keep in mind while we're on this topic that like, those are arbitrary lines in the sand that aren't necessarily rooted in research. And there is research that supports that people who are at the like 25-ish BMI range can be very healthy if they mm -hmm. eat a well-balanced diet and move their body and that their BMI doesn't matter. The other thing that BMI doesn't take into account is a person's body, like just how their body is, how much muscle do they have on their body? How much water weight are they carrying mm -hmm. at the point of measurement? So it's more, it's, it's a loaded metric for sure. Right. And what about chronic dieting? What does that mean? Chronic dieting. I think of chronic dieting as what people might call yo-yo dieting. So going on a diet, getting off of a diet, gaining weight. So they get back on another diet, going yeah. back on, you know, back and forth and back and forth, weight going up and down, up and down. What What is the difference between the phrase overweight and obese? And also, why is it, before I press record, you talked about, like, why is it that you don't like those phrases? Or I'm not sure if that's how you said it, but. Well, the difference is really based on the line and the, the line in the sand of BMI. It's kind of how people put those in place of what is obese and what is overweight. I don't like those things because they don't tell the whole picture of what's going on. And a lot of assumptions are made about a person based on that category that they're in. And so, for example, a person could have an eating disorder and be overweight at the same time. And they could be restricting very heavily, especially older women and postmenopausal women, women who have already had babies, they might be eating a, not very much. I'm not going to say calorie numbers for mm -hmm. anybody that's triggered by that, but right. they might be eating definitely not enough per day, but they're not losing tons of weight because their body is the way it is. And they go to the doctor and it's completely missed because the doctor just thinks they're fine because they just based it on how they look. Um, and, and vice versa, you know, somebody could be, uh, have, be, have a small body and that's just kind of naturally where their body lies. And people might judge them thinking that they have an eating disorder or they're very athletic or, you know, they eat certain things or don't eat certain things. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of judgment around those things. And then I think those metrics are also, um, or those labels are also used to target people to make money, honestly, like here's this diet, let me sell this idea, buy this product because you're overweight. Or, you know, like if you look at any diet product that somebody is selling, it yeah. is always focused on the problem is that you are too big. Yeah. And those are the words that are used around it. Yeah. 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 So what's, what does diet culture mean? I guess that's di different than chronic dieting. How would you define diet culture? Just the, the, all the, the discussion around it? Yeah. Kind of the idea that are like, that there are good foods and bad foods, that having a larger body is bad. Having a smaller body is good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, pre preoccupation with what we look like in terms of our 
how much fat we carry yeah. or don't or where it is and are we yeah. toned and you know all of those things so it's kind of this culture around I need to go on a diet so it's right after Thanksgiving or right after Christmas like oh sure. I've been this weight and I need to go sure. on a diet like you just get this onslaught of ads but aren't there aren't there good foods and bad foods <laughs> and and what I mean by that is I don't mean natural foods I mean like uh -huh. um chem with all the chemicals and preservatives isn't that isn't that something that humans should be avoiding I think that's a loaded question. And I think, so I think there is a way that everybody has to make their own food choices in terms yeah. of what they want to put in their body and what they don't. So I don't want to step on anybody's toes by saying, no, eat chemicals. It's fine. You know, yeah. like, well, and I mean, all food is chemicals, but anyways, um, but mm -hmm. I think when, when the idea of avoiding those foods consumes your life and keeps you from being able to live your life uh, or is a door into an eating disorder, that's when it can become really problematic. Sure, okay. eat foods that you prefer. I think there are people are very invested sometimes in responsible ways of eating in terms of you know, what animal products they buy or if they buy animal products at all. And I think that's a totally different discussion in terms of like, what are my values around food and what I choose to buy, not buy. And I think within that, you can also buy responsible, you know, I'm putting air quotes here. Nobody can mm -hmm. see it. Sweets um, that are, would be labeled by some as bad, but do check off all the marks on this is a responsible food and lines up with my values around that. So mm -hmm. I think those two things can be a little bit different, but the idea that like sugar is evil or we no. get addicted to sugar, you know, like all of that, those ideas, I think. Right. Are more and especially to your point earlier, like if the only filter, the unhealthy and only filter is I will weigh more if I eat this right. as opposed to the bigger picture of it being right. helpful and for your body to function. Right. Or is it like fun without it being detrimental to my health? Like, oh, that's good. That sort of makes me think of um, like, uh, like having a beer or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. do I have to justify? Well, some studies have said that this is good for my heart or it can be like, I just want a beer and right. it's not, and it's not going to be harmful for me. For no. some people it might be. For some people, it might be. And I think the same thing about, you know, certain foods. So if a person does have an eating disorder, it might be harmful for them to cut out a whole food group yeah. if they don't need to for a medical reason. I will add yeah. that lots of people have right. medical things where they have to make some changes about their choices, but people with eating disorders don't necessarily have the luxury of cutting out whole food groups because that can yeah. snowball into more disordered yeah. eating. Um, right. But in the, in the same way that an alcoholic doesn't have the luxury of having one beer. Yeah, um, there we go. But yeah. other people, it's like, yeah, have a beer if you want to have one beer. And if you don't feel yeah. like it, don't have one. Right. It makes me think of a uh, little bit of a tangent here, but um, someone was like, uh, yeah, I'd like to have a glass of red wine because, you know, it has antioxidants and it's supposed to be good for your heart. And then someone else was like, I just drink it because I like the way it makes me feel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's great. Like, okay. Well, and I think, you know, if we're, if we're doing things intuitively and saying, does, is this good for me? Yeah. And is it fun? And is right. this making my life better? Yeah. Then the choice is drink it. Cause I like it. And it feels mm -hmm. good. And drinking too much makes you feel bad. Your body tells you when yeah. you're at your limit and it will tell you the next day. <laughs> so if you intuitively listen to yourself and not push past yeah. that until exactly, exactly. Yeah. What about the phrase fat phobia? What does that mean? It's the idea that we are afraid of fat, that people are scared of fat in the way that like, you know, arachnophobia is fear of spiders or, mm -hmm. you know, other creepy crawlies. Um, and so, yeah, I think in our culture, we are taught that fat is bad. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that like, I have to avoid it some for some people at all cost. For some people, they try to, and it doesn't work and they're chronically unhappy with their bodies. Um, but I think it's also tied in with this idea that, well, let me go back. Mm -hmm. I think previously it was very simply fat is bad, then is good. Mm -hmm. I think people caught on to the idea that diets don't work 
and that those ideas are a little not helpful. And now it's been turned into this wellness culture, which I like to call a wolf in sheep's clothing of diet culture and fat phobia. (laughs) And so it's like selling wellness is selling a diet, but not calling it a diet and is also selling thinness without saying that you're selling thinness, you're selling health, but people equate health with thinness. I see. Well, and I would, I I mean, certainly there's got to be people that, that they're not that they're not the wolf in sheep's clothing. They're just you know, wanting wellness, yeah. but, yeah. but you think maybe think the marketing, interested. the big marketing, the marketing part of yes. it is, I, yes. I get the that. Yeah. I, I get that. It's sort of like you hear the words of like health and wellness and whatever, but then the p- people go, but really I'll lose weight if I do that. And that'll be awesome. Right. Or if they start doing it and they don't lose weight, they think it's not working. Oh, right. Cause it's all about that number on the scale. Which then I think goes back to part of that's internal, but a part of it comes from external voices where there's people who, and you know, you're the expert, not me, but I've certainly been around people that have had eating disorders and they get constant, well, if their eating disorder is related to, or or is a result, the result is weight loss, Mm -hmm. they get constant affirmation of they look fantastic. And they're like, you look amazing. And so that's not just an internal thing. This is, you have all these other voices that are telling you whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Even if your organs are shutting down, even if you're losing your hair, even if you're, you know, people like you better this way. Yeah. Your gums are receding, but they like, they think you look amazing. Right. And you you lost X amount of Whatever yeah, your, it's all the reinforcement. And and often people say those things well-intentioned and they right. don't know the person has an eating disorder and they think they look great and they don't know that they're reinforcing something unhelpful. So do you have any suggestions of how, as a human, we can encourage our peers about how they look? Because I think that that's, uh, I think that that's a healthy thing to be like, I, as your friend, look at you and I think it's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad to, sure. but but, it yeah. also, but sometimes it can be in the category of it's only related to the weight loss or whatever. Right. How can we? What are some ways that we can say things to people that are helpful for them that won't spiral them down to disorder or further into disorder? I think for a person with an eating disorder, particularly, and obviously, like we can't know this if we don't know. So. Yeah, there's that. But if you do know, if you do know, I would say just don't comment on a person's appearance, period. Because no matter what you do, if a person has an eating disorder, there's a good chance that their disordered thinking is going to twist that into meaning something that you don't Uh mean. Right. Disorder. Right. Right. And so, but then for other people who don't have an eating disorder, that their thoughts don't necessarily go down that rabbit hole. I think trying to make comments that aren't related to body shape and size and aren't only related to weight loss or thinness. And so, because the implication is like, oh, you look so great. Have you lost weight? It's like, well, yeah, but what do you think about me 10 pounds ago? You know, it's like, well, okay, were you thinking that I was like looking bad? And so then it like reinforces this idea that I have to, I get complimented when I have a thin body. So I think if we can say like, oh, that looks really good on you or that suits you really well, or you're looking really, you know, I don't know, whatever the adjective describes it. I think what I am drawn to more personally is how someone looks like they're feeling, you know, like if I can tell that somebody looks really in tune and embodied and happy and joyful, then I try to reflect that, like you're looking like you're feeling really good today, or you look like you're having a rough day. And so reflecting their feelings instead of their appearance, or just saying, I really love that shirt on you, you know? And so it's not about a person's body shape or size. It's just about, I like how that looks on you. Hey, we're hanging out and you seem like you're in a good place right now. Yeah, and, and I getting can the tell, positive like vibe from you here. You know, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Those it's funny. I, I just thought of one thing when when Kimberly uh, was pregnant with our with with our firstborn Gray. For whatever reason, she Kimberly wanted to eat apples like all the time, mm-hmm. and I mean, 
well, I didn't document this, but I, I would, it would not be an exaggeration to say that there was a window of time that she might've been eating upwards of six a day. Uh-huh. And, um, and it was kind of this funny thing where it's like, go to the yeah. grocery store and get another bag of apples. If, if they're, if they're on sale and if they look good, buy them because we buy will it. be consuming them. them. Yes. And then, um, and then on the final month, she all of a sudden wanted brownies all the time. And it mm-hmm. went, it went apple, 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 but at brownie, it was, you know, her first time giving birth to a child. She didn't yet know and hadn't really researched that on that ninth month is when the babies put on a lot of their fat. Yep. And she was just listening to her body and was like, for whatever reason, something about apples was with this baby's body, something in it. And I mean, obviously she wasn't only eating apples, just, <laughs> I don't mean to make it seem yeah. like she was eating yeah. foods, but then it was just like, Hey, the baby needs fat brownies it is and she didn't know that she just was like yeah. brownies it is you know yep and it was like she was trusting her body or in this case I guess both of their bodies <laughs> yep you know yeah I think that's I mean that story about that I told about hamburgers that was definitely when I was pregnant was like craving hamburgers at a certain point yeah. and then I go to oh, yeah sometimes you get low like, people get low iron your, yeah they checked my iron and they were like, yeah, your iron's really low. I'm like, oh my gosh, no wonder I want to eat like 500 hamburgers a day. Like, and I still remember how those hamburgers tasted because there's like something in our bodies that are like, you need this and it's going to yeah. taste good. So what, what is that called again? If someone's body has low iron chronically or, or like uh, anemia, anemia, uh, what is, I was going to, that was on the list but I'd forgotten the word. What's anemia other than that? Or is that the only thing that anemia is? Is it just, just low just iron? Low, low iron. Low to iron. my knowledge, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But so that's not in the category of an eating disorder. That's more of like your body's not processing iron. It's not because of anything. You're right. Doing. Yeah. I mean, it's it would be under the category of like a nutritional deficit. Like if you have low vitamin D, a lot of people have low vitamin D or yeah, low yeah. 12 or, you know, I think there are things in our... Um, our country, our culture that we're more likely to have low. Right. And, and also women versus men have certain things that are different. And iron is one for women, especially. That yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah. What about anorexia? Can you define that? Yes. So in the diagnostic statistical manual, which is like the Bible of mental health disorders, um, it has this whole list of criteria. If people want to look it up, you can. I'm not going to go into all those details, but essentially it is when a person does not eat enough nutritional content, so not enough nutrition to support their body's needs, mm-hmm. um, or for kids, they're not supporting their growth trajectory, uh-huh. which right. is important. And um, they're putting a significant emphasis on the importance of body shape and size and thinness. So Mm -hmm. kind of like the emphasis on thinness is too much. Mm -hmm. Um, It often comes with a fear of certain food groups or, you know, fear foods or a lot of, um, you know, some of these aren't diagnostic criteria, but things that you would see people who eliminate food groups or um, won't eat certain things or will be very regimented about what they eat. Sometimes it looks like calorie counting. Um, Sometimes people engage in excessive exercising, Um, but essentially it results in a low weight and can cause um, some medical problems on the other side. In the DSM, there are these markers of how underweight a person has to be, and they're based on BMI they're there. It is what it is. I think what gets missed and the, there's another eating disorder called other specified feeding or eating disorder, OSFED, which mm. is there's atypical anorexia can go in that bucket mm. of for OSFED, which is sometimes people don't reach a BMI of under 17.5, which like if your liver isn't working right and your heart rate is low and your hair is falling out, then who cares if your BMI, BMI number is irrelevant, high. right? It doesn't matter. It's like, yeah. okay, if you're at 18, then okay. Or right. He's in the hospital, he's in the hospital and his organs are right. shutting down, but his BMI looks good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where it gets missed a lot of times. So I think that's one of the, there are some pros and cons of having those diagnostic um, things lined up, which I'm not going to go into all of those details, but mm-hmm. when you're looking at purely anorexia, a person's weight has to be low enough. 
but a lot of people have all of the same characteristics without their weight getting that low and it's still a mm -hmm. problem what about on the other other side of it other end of it would the other end of that be like binge eating disorder or is that not really a fair comparison between um, those two? I don't know. It, I would just call it different. Um, yeah, so binge yeah. eating disorder, it actually is a newer diagnosis as of the DSM-5 in 2013, which is fascinating, um, which means there's not as much research because when you don't yeah. have something as a defined disorder, then you don't have a lot of research on it. Um, binge eating disorder is when somebody has discrete periods of time where they eat a very large quantity of food. And for that to be disordered, it has to be, I mean, we're not talking... So when I eat too many chips and salsa, right? It's, it's not probably okay. Yeah, that's probably okay. <laughs> We're talking for some people, it can get into the thousands of ca calories category. Mm -hmm. I don't want to put a number on it because no. everyone's different. Yeah, different. Um, and it also is usually accompanied with a feeling of loss of control, where people just feel like this compulsiveness, where they just have to go and eat more and more and more, and they don't like it. It doesn't feel good they feel really bad. And mm -hmm. also what happens for a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people with binge eating disorder and what is a big uh, thing that people don't really uh, like think about when they think about binge eating disorder is typically somebody will binge usually at night, not always at night, but that's pretty typical. Mm -hmm. And then the next day they will feel all kinds of shame and remorse all the bad things about themselves for their binge eating, and then will restrict the whole next day. So, you know, or not eat enough the whole next day, which leads to more binge episodes. And Why? so- Just because of hunger? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you haven't eaten all day, you know what it's like. You're like, oh my gosh, I could eat a whole cow. I've eat, yeah, I so, eaten So day. let me ask, let, let, this, is a, this is, I think, a good transition to fasting because- there's the inter intermittent intermittent fasting fasting that's become a bit of a I guess a fad. But if you yes. rewind, take away the current fad, fasting has been part of the culture of the world for thousands of years. Yeah, and of course, then for some people, it has spiritual significance to it. But can we talk about fasting and maybe the, in your opinion or experience, some of the healthy or unhealthy or both aspects of that? I think if people are fasting to lose weight or really doing anything to try to lose weight, then you're, you're there kind of go. in that. So that if the, if the purpose of, culture, of it is yeah. weight loss, that's okay. But it, is there any health benefit to it though? Honestly, this, I can say, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I work with a population where it's not very appropriate for them at any point in time. So right. I don't have a whole lot. So of maybe if, if someone knowledge. has an unhealthy relationship with food, mm -hmm. um, fasting might not be good for them. Yeah. And especially if they have a, an eating disorder, it might not yeah, be absolutely not them. good for them. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if it is rooted in an unhealthy relationship with food and body, then you might want to think again about yeah. it. Um, so yeah, there we go. That's good. That's a really good yeah. way of saying that. Yeah, it's, I mean, in that case, it's just another diet. So. And then, and then it makes me think of, um, like, even if the res research shows intermittent fasting, and if you don't eat for a certain amount of time, it, it allows your body some rest from digestion processing, even if that's true, there's people with um, diabetes or something that would be like, well, that's not possible. Oh. Well, and so right. Well, and that happens all the time, you know, where like, I know somebody who recently was really surprised when they were like, oh, I had a snack right before I went to bed. And when I woke up, they have type two diabetes. When I woke up, my blood sugar was more normal at the beginning of the day than it's ever been before. And I'm like, well, yeah, you can't, <laughs> yeah, you need that. Um, so everybody's a little, everybody's a little bit different with that in terms of fasting. I think on the religious side of things, mm -hmm. For people who don't have eating disorders, when it is a religious exercise, it's a religious exercise it, that mm. just happens to over, overlap with food. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't even put it into- It's not the food, same thing. Yeah. But it's not the same thing. For people who do have eating dos disorders, being in a situation where they are challenged with fasting for religious reasons, that becomes very murky. Mm. And I know a lot of people who- that is a huge trigger for them if they do attempt to fast. And a lot of religious 
communities, spiritual advisors will say, the people who are exempt from this fasting are people who have medical conditions where that would be not appropriate, which includes people with eating disorders. Um, If it's going to be detrimental to your relationship with, you know, whatever your spiritual objective is to your higher power, God, whomever, then Mm -hmm. that kind of defeats the purpose. And so like, this doesn't really apply. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, the listeners might come from different faith traditions or even lack of a faith tradition, but in my opinion, I don't think that something like that should have a oppression over you exactly. of, of rule. Yes. Um, <clears throat> even, even um, within like the Christian tradition, there are very few things in the Bible that describe exactly what those rules are. Mm-hmm. One could argue that doesn't describe what the rules are, but then there are a lot of cultural expectations of what the rule is about fasting. And those are not necessarily what, was ever mentioned in the Bible. And I have a friend that's Muslim that, you know, during Ramadan, they fast, but people go, oh, they fast for like 30 days. And it's like, well, they don't eat during the day. And then in the the evenings, they eat together as a community. And and even within that, they have clear understanding that there are all sorts of people that can't make that happen. And that's okay. And it's just like, that's the culture and that's the tradition. We're not going to eat during the day and we're going to eat t- together in the evening. And if you have to eat something, go ahead and eat something. <laughs> you know, right. I love that. I love that clarification. It's not like this oppressive rule that you're going to be right. by God. Yeah. You have that well, kind of food. I think that one of the best examples that I've seen of a person that I know who has a religious, religious faith that requires some level of fasting. One of my friends is Jewish And there is a time in the Jewish holiday calendar where she Mm -hmm. fasts for one day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly when she stops and starts. I don't ask her those questions in detail, but I I used to work with her and I knew that every day on that holiday, she took the day off because she's like, I can't function without food (laughs) and I'm not a good employee. So I'm taking the day off, which is I'm doing this for my religious beliefs and I also am going to take care of myself in other ways by taking some quiet time and some space and I'm not going to push myself to do things that I know I can't do with a lot of fuel for my brain and so it's this one day and then it's then it's over and it's not for the purpose of weight loss and so I yeah I kind of put that in a totally totally different camp from diets but when somebody is fasting and they're trying to function and doing that day after day yeah. depending on what that looks like, it can become harmful. But again, it's very nuanced. And so it's hard right. to say a black and white answer to that. Yeah, that's good. There's a, within the Jewish tradition, there are a few, but the my guess is it's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's the big Yeah, one. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that in September? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then it is Yom Kippur. I just always knew every September there was a yeah. day she would take off. Yeah. How about, let's talk about signs and symptoms for people to be thinking through. Um, let me ask it this way. Like, okay, when they might need to go talk with a therapist about, in order to try to determine whether that it's a disorder, um, even if it's not a disorder, mm-hmm. it could be disordered eating, they're, they're not happy with their mm-hmm. body. And then, the, and then the third one would maybe be like, not f- to evaluate ourselves, but how we might be able to see signs and symptoms with among our friends, other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of asking a lot here in one question, but then that third one, it's like, how to know when to actually do something about it and not be like right. the jerk friend that's like trying to analyze our friend's life and tell them how to live their life, you know, but right. Right, so, so but then the, you yeah. also don't want them to die. Yeah, we don't want them to say die. this. Eating disorders are the most most lethal mental illness of all mental illnesses. And so people kind of, I think, I don't, maybe this might be my interpretation. I think sometimes people get annoyed with me, with my like overzealousness and passion about eating disorders. And some of that comes from knowing people who have died. And I, I have a, um, because I, this is the way my brain works. I have a graphic that I made for a presentation one time that was before I started doing eating disorder work and I was working with general mental health and substance abuse. Mm -hmm. How many people did I know that died? 
not that many. After starting eating disorder work, how many people did I know that died? A bunch of people. And when I broke it down into categories of did they die because of either malnourishment, eating disorder related complications, or suicide secondary to eating disorders, that category is the highest number of people that I know. So it's one of those things that's really tricky because you do want to speak up, but you also don't want somebody to shut down and avoid you. You know, it's, it's just, it's murky water, but it can also be really harmful to a person's health. Um, How do we, first one, how do we, how do we know when we need to go talk to somebody to determine if it's Well, I think really broadly, if somebody is listening to this and they are not happy with their relationship with food or their relationship with their body, go see a counselor or a therapist and Mm -hmm. find somebody who is trained in working with people with body image or intuitive eating. Um, Intuitive eating is a really great approach. Um, There's a book and a workbook, and there's also another uh, workbook for teens. That's an intuitive eating workbook. Um, so it's called it has, intuitive eating. Yes. Um, Ever, Ele, Evelyn Triboli and, um, Elise Reich, Rich, Rich, I think is how she says it. Um, they are the ones who came up with this. They're both dietitians and it's just, it goes through a bunch of principles that talk about how to intuitively eat. It's kind of reprogramming your brain to think in a different way about food and kind of all the things that we've talked about. Um, but there are people who specifically do work with body image and intuitive eating. Um, there are dietitians that are intuitive eating, um, trained coaches that can be really helpful. And so, yeah, if you're just not happy with the way it's going, sure, go talk to somebody about it. It doesn't mean that anything's quote unquote wrong with you I think it really just means that you live in our culture and you're yeah. feeling some of the oppression any um, more specific signs and symptoms though like instead of yeah. just unhappy what would be the signs or symptoms like yeah I have some of that I might need to go talk to someone yeah so I would say if um again this is really broad and hard to pin down but I would sure. think in terms of eating disorder, I will start there and then we can, we can go big and kind of scale back. So big signs and symptoms, a significant reduction in weight, um, being underweight, not eating enough nutrition for a person's needs. Um, and, and when that happens, a person typically gets really obsessive about food um, which is also another misnomer. People are like, do you not like food? You don't think about food? No, people with eating disorders think about food all the time. They can't stop thinking about food, but they're too afraid to eat it with anorexia. Um, and so if that is happening, that would be a sign. Um, if somebody has hair falling out, that is a physical symptom. Being too cold in situations where nobody else is cold um, can be a symptom. So there are a lot of medical things. Um, abnormal blood work, um, any signs that a person's heart is not well. Um, and that's, you know, would be determined by a doctor, but that can look like, um, a really low heart rate or a significant change in heart rate when somebody goes from sitting to standing or lying to standing, and then they would get dizzy. That's what you would feel. But if you got your blood pressure and heart rate, those positional changes, um, would show a significant change. Again, a doctor would determine that abnormal EKG. Um, let me think what else, um, being really rigid about what a person can and can't eat obsessive calorie tracking. Um, those calorie tracking apps, those can be a, just a pit for some people. They Mm. get really stuck in them. Um, and that might look like, you know, where somebody could not log for a day what they eat or not go, you know, like they could go on vacation and not log something, then they might not have as much of a problem. But if somebody's like, I can't go on vacation or I don't want to go on vacation if I can't look up the calories in all my food or if I can't go without logging everything or estimating it, then that might be a problem. Um, Somebody who's obsessively weighing themselves, um, being extremely fearful of weight gain, um, chronic exercise. Those are some of the big ones. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure there are others that I'm missing, but those are the big things. Right. Um, 
Also, one thing that we haven't really hit is um, bulimia. Um, uh -huh. So if a person is purging, um, intentionally causing themselves to vomit um, and doing that frequently um, or even occasionally in a way that is not helpful. If a person is abusing laxatives, if a person is um, abusing other medications that can cause weight loss, so abusing certain stimulants. Um, oh, right. Because then it... Um... Anything that Increases would the metabolism, it, yeah, all that stuff, yeah, yeah, and then or like abusing diuretics, yeah, um, right. those types of things. There are people who have um, diabetes who can manipulate their. I don't want to give too many details because I don't want to give people tips yeah. um, or be triggering, but they can manipulate the way that they manage their diabetes to try to decrease their weight. That's kind oh. of coined diabolemia. Uh -huh. um, so if that's happening to a person um having binge episodes like what i described yeah. before where you feel out of control um hoarding hiding food those mm. types of things mm -hmm. would be on a more extreme end so some of those you know if, if anyone's listening and they're like you know if i'm honest with myself that i've got a few of those i'll go talk to somebody where would they even start i mean at the end i'm going to talk about tell people how they can connect with you uh -huh. but even if it's not with you where would they start? Who who do they go to? What kind of doctor and how do they find that kind of doctor? Um, I would really recommend finding uh, either a dietitian or a therapist that's trained as an eating disorder therapist or dietitian. Okay. So if you go on the um, the IADEP website, the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, anybody who is certified. Um, as a either dietitian or therapist as an eating disorder professional would be listed on there. That's a good place to Can start. Can you say that again, international? Yes, International Association for Eating Disorder Professionals, okay. IAEDP. Um, so that's a good place to start. Anybody that has, so a therapist would have um, CEDS as one of their credentials at the end of yeah, that's Yeah. CEDS. And then you, yours has an extra S for supervisor. I noticed yes. that. I don't quite understand. Yes. That means you supervise just, those people. Yes. That means I am approved to be a supervisor for people getting their certification. For eating disorder. For eating disorder yeah. specialty. Yes. Specialty. I know it's a wild world out there. With all the you are an um, MHSAC and an LMHC and an LCA. S and a C E D S S <laughs> alphabet soup. Yes. So licensed clinical mental health counselor, licensed clinical addiction specialist, certified eating disorder specialist, supervisor. That's what mm -hmm. all of that decoding that means. But I would look for somebody who has that C E D S thing after their name, or uh -huh. if it's a dietitian, they would have C E D R D okay. after their name. So it's a good place to start because that that way, right off the bat, you know that the person is trained in eating disorders, yeah. and that eliminates anybody. Because honestly, in grad school, I can tell you how many hours of eating disorder training I got—three total, three. Um, I know that psychiatrists typically get about three. So any general practitioner most likely is not going to know how to distinguish um, very well in a very nuanced way an eating disorder. That doesn't mean that a person who doesn't have a SEEDS or a CDRD can't do those things. They might find, you know, a person out there who hasn't gotten that qualification but knows things. But I would look for a specialist. Um, and then they can talk through things with you about, you know, what are your symptoms? What's going on with you? How are you mm -hmm. feeling? And then they can help you determine where to go from there. Yeah. What about, what about related to our friends and family? Yeah. How do we, how do we know when to say something or even what to look for? Um, so I would, in terms of what to look for, I think that's a little hard, but if there are signs that somebody might be purging, you know, if they leave after you eat meals with them or, you know, things that just feel a little sneaky, suspicious, it's kind of hard to say exactly. Sometimes people right. just go to the bathroom after they eat. So yeah. it's hard to tell. Um, <clears throat> other people might 
who are trying not to eat might not eat a full portion and will pick at their food, move food around their plate. Um, sometimes people's dogs will gain a lot of weight very quickly because somebody's dropping food off wow. the side of the table. Um, or, you know, people who are really picky about where they go eat, depending on what, it, again, I a lot of this is nuanced, but I think if sure. you're seeing a lot of the signs that are adding up, then that might be an indication that something's going on. I do think it's a really hard thing to approach. Um, it's really hard to answer that question without the specific person in mind. I think there's some people that if you say something to them, they're going to shut you down and it's going to be like, no way, no how. Um, but some people, if you know your friend well enough, you might be able to say, I'm kind of concerned about your food and your body, you know, like I'm, you know, about mm. your nutritional, yeah. your health, you know, those types of things. It seems like something's going on. Um, but again, that would be tailored to the specific friend or individual that you're approaching. Yeah. I've seen all iterations. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, as we finish up here, maybe you can, we can go through a couple book suggestions and we'll wrap yeah. up with, with your, your own website, but um, talk a little bit more about the intuitive eating book as well as workbook and yeah. for teens as well. What is that? What is that book? So, and there's an intuitive eating book, um, Evelyn Triboli and, or Triboli and Alish Rich. Um, they have a book and a workbook and both are really wonderful. It goes through 10 principles of intuitive mm -hmm. eating. The workbook is really great because it kind of prompts you to go through those things. Um, they're both really user-friendly. Um, so you can go through them on your own or with a professional if you like to work through them in that way. Um, but essentially the goal is to help a person um, have a better relationship with food and um, like their subtitle is 10 principles for nourishing a healthy relationship with food. So that's pretty much that's the goal of that. Um, I think it's nice because it gives people a framework instead of just being like, well, don't diet and trust your body and eat what you want. And then people kind of get freaked out about that because it's like, but then that means I'm going to gain 500 pounds. Freedom <laughs> is, a, is a scary thing. It is a scary thing. And, and we don't know how to eat in our culture. A lot of people don't know how to eat. And so it's because we lose that because of cultural influences from yep. our little baby state until now. So this helps, it has a lot of principles and tools for figuring that out and working through that. Um, and then the teen workbook, I think is just a little more friendly for a younger population, which is nice. Um, yeah, it's newer. I think it just came out a couple of years ago. The workbooks are newer. Um, and there were a couple yeah. other books that you mentioned to me. Yeah. Health at every size. Health at every size. So health at every size, it's, it's a big one to wade through, but for people who are like, I want more research and I don't know if I buy what you're selling, Leah. This is a good place to start because it goes through a lot of research. So um, Linda Bacon, or I think she is going by Lindo Bacon now, mm -hmm. and her pronouns are she and her, but I, I don't know all the details there, but there's some changes that she's made in the past year or so, but Lindo Bacon. Um, and so it's essentially the idea that health does not equal body size. And she goes through all of that. And she goes through a lot of research um, I mean, the reference section is 30 pages long, no joke. Um, so if you want to know all the information, I think she is, um, she has three degrees. I ever, can't ever keep them straight. She has a degree in public health and nutrition. She has a degree, I think, in exercise science and is trained as, I think, a psychotherapist. Anyway, she has a PhD and two master's degrees. She knows what she's talking about. Um, so yeah, that's a really... I would say the health at every size and intuitive eating book, those are like, I jokingly call them my work Bibles. Yeah. Um, like the two things that I live by. Um, another really good one for people that are like, I don't know if myself or my loved one has an eating disorder, a newer book also, I think it came out a couple of, a year or two ago is um, it's called Sick Enough. Um, the subtitle is a guide to the medical complications of eating disorders, and it's by Jennifer Gattiani. 
And she is um, an eating disorder primary care physician. She used to work at the Acute Center for Eating Disorders, which is kind of known for taking um, some of the most significant severe cases where other eating disorder facilities might not admit somebody because they were too, quote unquote, too sick, like very, very ill. Um, They would take them at that facility. And since then, she has left that facility. She's in Colorado and has her own, I think it's called the Gadiani Clinic. And she wrote this book. Um, But it's really nice because it goes through all the medical complications, signs, symptoms, and layperson's terms which is fantastic because it's a lot to wade through, you know, osteopenia, osteoporosis, you know, all of those positional changes I was talking about with blood pressure and heart rate and yeah, tachycardia, like all those words, she explains all of them, which is great. So, um, and she's also really good at differentiating, like if a person doesn't have a BMI under 17.5, are you sick enough? That's kind of where oh, the right. yeah, comes yeah. into play. She uses some other metrics to wow. determine if a person's lost too much weight. So that's a really great resource. And um, you had one more that I thought more. would be helpful to mention. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anti-Diet is a mm-hmm. really great book by Christy Harrison. Christy Harrison has a podcast um, called Food Psych, which is so amazing. She, they, she has episodes um, with Linda Bacon and with Evelyn Triboli. I don't know if she has Elise Wright Rich on her podcast or not, um, but those other two are definitely guests. She has all the like big name people in the eating disorder, body image, disordered eating world. Great resource. So she's a dietitian. She wrote this book called Anti-Diet. It came out, I think about a year ago, year and a half ago. And it kind of chronicles the history of dieting, why diets don't work, um, and kind of what to do next. What's her name again? Christy Harrison. Okay. Yeah. Great. So those are good places to start. There are lots of great resources out there. Um, And as we we wrap up, I want to point people to your site. Uh, I know that you're in Durham, but you are able to um, have clients in North Carolina that are based in North Carolina and do it online, like yeah. video, video calls. Yeah. So it's Avery Ridge Counseling, and this is your own practice, right? Yes. Yeah. I opened my own practice about a year and a half ago. Um, and before that, worked in a different practice. I worked in an eating disorder facility, some other community mental health stuff. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a newer venture. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> having to do telehealth came on right at the beginning of my journey, but, um, yeah. it was a weird blessing in disguise for people sure. to have so much need for mental health when I was opening my own business. So, yeah, but yeah, right. people can check it out there. There are other good resources. Um, I will say finding eating disorder treatment is really challenging, um, to find somebody trained well and also right. that takes people's insurance that's affordable. Right. So if anybody has questions, you know, if I'm not, if I don't have openings or I'm not the right exact fit for a person, I'm happy to help try to find somebody yeah. or well, that'd down. be good. I think that, you know, just if someone's listening and they're like, you know, I don't think I want to Google something and find something and there might not be anything in my town, you go to AveryRidgeCounseling.com. So that's A V E R Y. Mm-hmm. for Avery and then Ridge the counseling is spelled like you think <laughs> AveryRidgeCounseling.com uh, and look at, at uh, the about section and what all that Leah offers and then like she said she's more than happy to point you towards another resource if she's not the, the right fit for you So, but at least it's a great start maybe something a website to suggest for a friend if, if you feel like comfortable enough to subtly or not so subtly there's something out there yeah that with a friend um uh intuitive eating book health at every size book sick enough book anti-diet book and the food psych podcast with christy harrison so that there's a lot of reset a lot of resources there um so thank you so much for your time yeah absolutely expertise thanks for letting me talk about all this oh yeah it's challenging stuff for a lot of people it's a totally different way of thinking so yeah it's challenging but but it's helpful and it affects a lot of people and i think it's good for us all to be thinking through even if we don't have an eating disorder even if we don't go talk to someone professionally it is probably a good thing for us all to think through 
do I have a healthy relationship with food? Do I have a healthy yeah. relationship with body? Those are good yeah. questions for us all to ask. Yeah, um, definitely. So, so thank you so much. So yeah, everybody. You're hey, so welcome. Yeah, go to AveryRidgeCounseling.com. And of course, as always, you can go to ThingsAboutThings.com for more things. Thanks for listening.